to This Grit and Grace Life, a podcast for strong women and those who want to be. From the boardroom to the bedroom, car lines to college, single, married, or single again, real talk for women embracing this grit and grace life. Let's get into it. Well, hey, girl, hey, and welcome to 2021. I'm Julie Bender. Oh, and I'm Darlene Brock. It's good to be in 2021, isn't right? it, Julie? So long, 2020. Bye. <laughs> I mean, it is a new year, and whether you like to make resolutions or not, I think a lot of us take time at the beginning of the year to look at our finances. And sometimes it's out of sheer terror. Oh, because of the credit card debt from Christmas? That <laughs> you're like, one? wait, it costs how much to do that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> or maybe you're a goal-oriented person and you know you've got some things you want to tackle this year and you're going to have to make some shifts in the way you spend your money. Um, what about you, Dar? Is there anywhere that you like to splurge when it comes to your money? I honestly love to splurge on other people. I know that sounds really well, like noble, but it's not. <laughs> when your husband looks at you and goes, you really want to buy that? <laughs> Now I feel like a jerk that I want to say that I definitely like to splurge on lashes and coffee, but I'll redeem myself. I totally bought you coffee today. Yes, so you did. that feels like a full circle I moment. offered to pay and you said, no, no. <laughs> Let me treat you. <laughs> Such a lover. Um, okay. Well, what's something that's non-negotiable when it comes to your finances that you have to make sure you have money in your budget for what? Uh, I have to have money in my budget for Covering my bills, to be honest. I have to do that, right? Yeah, that one's given. Come on. Is there something that's not a have to, but in the Brock household, this is something that's like bottom line has to be in there? We honestly put aside money to um, care for some of the people in our family that we've had to care for. Mm. Love that. Yeah. How about you? I know for us, I mean, so we're new, married, trying to figure out what that looks like for us. Um, Definitely tithing is a given for us. Um, Really refreshing just to kind of even talk to Donnie about how we wanted to do that, especially because right now we're a two church family. So figuring out how we do that in a way that we think honors the Lord and our churches. Um, But also something that's really important to us, the more we spend time together is making sure we have money for experiences. I love that. I think that's real important. And you know what? We have a guest today that's going to make us a whole lot smarter about this money thing that I think sometimes we break out in a cold sweat just talking about it. For sure. Today we have Rachel Cruz. She's the two-time number one national best-selling author. She's a financial expert and the host of The Rachel Cruz Show. Since 2010, Rachel has served at Ramsey Solutions, where she teaches people to avoid debt, save money, budget, and how to win with money at any stage in life. She's authored three best-selling books, including Love Your Life, Not Theirs, and Smart Money, Smart Kids, which she co-wrote with her father, Dave Ramsey. Her latest book, Know Yourself, Know Your Money, Discover Why You Handle Money the Way You Do and What to Do About It, releases today, January 5th. There is no way around it. We have to learn to manage our money, or it's going to manage us. And so... Rachel, you're going to teach us a little bit about that today and handling our finances in a whole new way. So welcome to This Great and Grace Life. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for having me. We are so excited to have you. And and we know that you've been in the money and the finance niche for a while, but we're really excited about this episode because we know it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a play off your newest book, which I'm so excited to learn about how the more we know ourselves, the better we will handle our money. So can you tell us a little bit about the inspiration behind your new book? 
Yeah, well, about probably three years ago, I went on this journey of kind of self-discovery. I kind of stumbled into it, but I took some personality tests. I took the Enneagram. I was reading books, doing some counseling, and really just diving in and understanding, okay, why do I do the things that I do? And out of that, I really, I really think I became healthier emotionally in so many ways. And I was a better wife, a better mom, a better friend, daughter, sister. And then I remember thinking, okay, well, what if I apply this to my money? And, oh gosh, you guys, it was like going down this black hole. (laughs) I was like, wow. I was like, I just have never really dove into this part of money. Because for a decade, I've talked to people about the how-tos of money, like how to get out of debt, how to budget, how to build wealth, how to refinance, how to give. But I never really asked the question, why? And personal finance, I mean, it's 80% behavior. It's only 20% head knowledge. So understanding the how-to is such a small part of it. The behavior side is what is so key. And we talk about it a lot at Ramsey Solutions. But I thought, gosh, we just haven't done a deep dive into why do we have the behaviors we have? Like, Why do we handle money the way we do? And after discovering so much about myself, even in this, and then realizing, wow, there is so much here that can help people. I was like, this has to be my next book. I love it. It's a great idea. And actually, it's a great book, too. And, you know, I think you're right. How do you start with self-awareness over the why? You have to learn a little bit about yourself first, correct? Yes, absolutely. I mean, asking the question simply like, why am I buying this thing? Or why do I want to save for the certain goal? Just starting to ask these why questions. Um, But it's even bigger than that. I mean, in the book, I talk everything about your childhood to your dreams, your money tendencies, your fears. I mean, so we're very complicated people, you know, I mean, there's so many layers to us, but, but when you can really start to solve these or understand these things, you can change your behaviors for better ones, because I just feel like life's problems can masquerade themselves as money problems. And they're not really money problems. They're life problems, whether it's heart issues like contentment or being disorganized and not being able to keep up with your money and your bills. I mean, whatever it is, there's a reason behind our money problems. So really getting into the forefront of that, I think can help people get a jump start into not just changing their behavior about money, but really helping them in life. I love this whole concept. I'm not going to lie though. I'm a little bit scared <laughs> because as you were talking about kind of that journey to self-discovery, I'm like nodding along like, yeah, that was me the last few years. Like, cool. We've been on the same page. And then I'm, it's settling in that, oh wait, maybe I need to take a look more inward on why and how I spend my money. So I'm really looking forward to um, getting a chance to read your book and learn some more from you on the rest of this discussion. So let's jump in. I know you talk about in your book, Money Classrooms. Tell us what they are and how they shape the way we handle our money. Yes, well, I've heard so many psychologists and counselors call your home growing up your classroom. And so there's so many lessons that we all learned that we take with us into adulthood. And there's a lot of lessons that we wish we could unlearn, you know, from our classroom growing up. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to money specifically, there's really these four main money classrooms because I realized money's communicated in two ways. It's communicated emotionally and it's communicated verbally. So as, as I was writing the book, I was making these two realizations and I was like, oh my gosh, it creates a quadrant. Like Jesus gave me a graph and I'm so happy about it. So it creates these four, these four classrooms. And the first money classroom is the anxious money classroom. And this is if you grew up in a home where verbally it was closed. So it was not money was not talked about, but emotionally stressed. Mm. So you knew you know, there was tension around money, maybe toward the end of the month with bills, but you never really could pinpoint why, because it just wasn't talked about. 
classroom number two is the unstable money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open, but emotionally stressed. So it's a stressful subject, but it is out in the open. Lots of conflict, mm-hmm. lots of fighting. You probably heard your parents have the same fight over and over again about money. They could have even fought with extended family members about money, but you heard it. Mm-hmm. Classroom number three is the unaware money classroom. And this is where it's verbally closed, but emotionally calm. So it's not talked about, but yet there's not a lot of tension around it. So your head's kind of in the sand. You just don't really think about it much. And then classroom number four is definitely the healthiest money classroom. And this is the secure money classroom. And this is where it's verbally open and emotionally calm. So you don't have to have a lot of money to be in this classroom. You could have $10 or 10 million. But the point here is that money is, it's controlled. Uh, there's a plan in place and it's openly talked about within parents, uh, within, you know, parent to child relationship, but it's just this place that, yeah, it's not a taboo subject. It's just talked about. So, so I really do um, challenge my readers that in their current nuclear family to really move to that classroom number four and create that environment. But what's important is to look back on your own life and say, Hey, how did I grow up? Because each of these money classrooms comes with weaknesses. And you can maybe start to see why you handle money the way you do. Mostly, I would say, uh, a lot of it has to do with one of those money classrooms and how you were raised. Oh, that's so funny because I'm sitting here looking at those in the list and I can go, oh, I know which one I grew up in. I grew up in the unaware money classroom (laughs) because we didn't talk about it, but nobody stressed about it. And so when I left home, I had no idea how to spend money or not spend money. It was more like shoes and clothes and, oh, yeah, I needed to pay my rent. So That's right. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense that where I grew up determined my lack of understanding of how I needed to handle it. That's right. Yeah. So what's fascinating is talking to people when I was researching for the book is some people just kind of kind of like what you're saying almost you just unintentionally ended up like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to kind of keep doing what I've been doing where I talked to some people and it's this visceral opposite reaction where they're like, I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what my parents did. And so talking to some people where, you know, their parents were such tightwads, they never spent money. They always heard the word no, and they just never let them do anything. And so now they're crazy spenders. You know, they, they want to spend all the time. Uh, other people I talked to have said that their parents, um, you know, wanted to put up this front and they always spent money on outward stuff. And so, everything looked good from the outside, but internally it was just this mess within their family. And I remember her specifically saying, you know, I, I will drive a Honda Civic for the rest of my life. I don't care. I just want healthy relationships because stuff, she like almost is repulsed by stuff. She can't even have a healthy relationship with it because it just represents so much pain. So, so it's interesting. People either mirror what their parents did uh, because it's just kind of what they know, or they have this opposite reaction and they do the complete opposite. And it seems like understanding this for yourself would be really important, but I would imagine that it would be helpful to have an understanding of where your partner, you know, what classroom he or she grew up in so that you can kind of understand maybe if you have opposite tendencies, um, not seeing it as necessarily a flaw in your partner, but just having that understanding, kind of like everyone was obsessed with the Enneagram and understanding the way your partner, you know, reacts to all scenarios. I bet this would be helpful for couples as well. Yes. Oh, so much. I tried so hard to put the word relationship somewhere in the subtitle of this book because I was like, <laughs> it advances so many relationships because yes, the Enneagram is such a great example. Is like, yes, it gave you language. It had this understanding, 
And I feel like that's what I wanted this book to do when it comes to money, not really the Enneagram of money, but just really unpacking these facets of money to say, yes, giving you language to be able to say, okay, this is why you do the things you do. And again, not to excuse all bad behavior because of it, but it gives you a level of empathy where you say, okay, I can actually now understand why my dad does X, Y, or Z, or why my husband does this, or why my friend, you know, values this over this. You can kind of start to unpack and really see people um, when it comes to their money habits too. Okay, so let's move on a little bit and realize that apparently we are all wired differently when it comes to money. That's pretty darn obvious. So it goes historical, but we have money tendencies too, right, Rachel? Things that we tend toward that you identified? Yes. Yeah, there's really seven main ones that I write about in the book. Um, and, And what's important with the tendencies is not to make it a right or wrong. There's not a moral compass to them. But it is, again, a thing to say, hey, here's like the scale and you can kind of figure out, okay, here's where I naturally fall one way or the other. And it's really valuing who you are when it comes to money. So it's everything from, are you a spender or a saver? And that's kind of an easy one for most people to say, yeah, I naturally lean more saving. I naturally lean more spending. But just to be able to even say it out loud. And if you're married, like we were saying earlier, just to understand your spouse. Some people haven't even made that realization of like, okay. Yes, you are a natural spender. I'm a natural saver. Mm -hmm. Uh, I talk about when you spend money, do you spend it on experiences or things? And I'm an experienced person. I'm like, I will go to the zoo with my kids. I will have a spa day. I'll have a nice dinner out at a restaurant. Like I will have a full experience where my husband is the opposite. He's a things guy. He, his whole mindset, he's like, if I work hard and I buy something, I want to be able to reuse it over and over and over again, (laughs) let it better my life. And so for the, like probably the first year of our marriage, I laughed because every time we went out to dinner, he would never buy a drink. He would always drink water, always drink water. <laughs> and, he, and I'm like, just get a drink. He's like, no, I don't want to spend eight or $10. It's fine. You know, we were on a super tight budget as, as newlyweds. And I would always get frustrated because I'm like, no, enjoy this night out with me. He's like, I am enjoying this night out. It's fine. But to me, it's a whole experience, you know, that you have to have this full thing. And for him, he's like, no, I just don't value that. And so I wish I had that language early on in our marriage. But I'm curious for you guys, are you, or which one are you, experiences or things? Experiences. I'm all about experiences. How about you, Julie? Well, traditionally, I have been a things. And um, I just got remarried, Rachel. My first husband passed away. And so I just got remarried. And my husband now is very experiences. And so I'm learning to value experiences over things. And something we're saying to our son all the time is people are more important than things. And so we've been saying, like, for us, we'd rather do something together as a family than buy another thing. So I'm actually seeing the you know, the full circle of this, of learning to, um, you know, kind of focus on a different tendency because of the value in it. But how do you do that, Rachel? How do you blend? I mean, every early marriage has this kind of uh, tension. How do you compromise that if one's important to you, but not important to your partner? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's simply saying, Hey, this is what we, what I value in life and putting it down tactically always helps for me. So even just doing a budget and saying, okay, for this month, maybe we'll put a little bit more in the out to eat category or whatever category kind of gets you the fix of the experience and say, yeah, 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 I want to put some money here. And then maybe the next month, hey, yeah, let's together as a couple, let's invest in a, maybe a new TV or whatever the thing is that we want to, that we want to buy. But I would say, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a, uh, a mix up for sure, because each of you is going to have your own passions and your own purpose or your own, the way you lean naturally in life. Um, 
but the way it's communicated tactically, I think is what's key here. And so when you can put it on paper and agree, okay, for this month coming forward, here's where our money's going and it's going to change next month. But for this month, this is what we decide to do. And so there, there takes a level of maturity because there's a level of sacrifice. You know, if I say, okay, I can't get a massage this month or whatever my experience is <laughs> that I really want. Um, say, okay, yeah, but hey, and, and that's, a, that's not, not a no forever. Eventually I can have that, but it just may be in a month or two. And it's just, it takes that level of maturity to really compromise. You know, a bunch of years ago, I had an assistant who hated budgets and her husband was the budget master. And so he finally created a line item in their budget that was called Carol's Free Money. <laughs> and it was nothing more than it wasn't defined. She could use it any way she wanted. And sometimes I think it's as simple as that is just adjust a little bit. So you accommodate the emotional need of your partner. For sure. Yes. And that's even one of the, the tendencies I talk about. Are you a nerd or a free spirit when it comes to money? Because some people, they naturally gravitate towards the budget. They love it. Other people, not as much. And I actually lean more free spirit as well. So I do, I encourage every couple, just like what you're saying, that everyone needs a line item in the budget. So Winston has a line item. I have a line item that I'm like, yeah, it's my, that amount of money I have every month that I can go and spend as I will, just like you're saying. Uh, and it does, it gives that level of freedom because while when you're married, I do 100% believe there's a level of unity that needs to be created within the, within the marriage um, of budgeting, joining your checking accounts. I mean, all of that, there's, there's a tactical level of becoming one for sure. Um, but there's also the nod to say, yeah, but Winston would live in a duck blind in Arkansas for the rest of his life. <laughs> I wouldn't. So, Hey, what can I do? What can he do? So yeah, we're still two different people. It sounds like what you're saying that what it comes down to, especially in marriage is communication and maturity are going to serve you well, even when it comes to finances. Beautifully said. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So I confessed at the beginning that I was a little fearful of some of the things that you were going to drudge up here in this conversation that I might need to look at, which I think there's probably some others who are listening and dealing with a little bit of fear. You mentioned that fear holds us back in several different ways. Are there any fears associated with money we should know about? Yes, fear is a is a big motivator for people when it comes to money. And sadly, money is something people fear a lot, um, especially, you know, the year we went through in 2020, like it, it is on the forefront of so many people's minds. And when I was writing this book, I talked to Dr. Chip Dodd about fear. Mm -hmm. And I loved what he said, because he said, fear is actually a gift. Fear is literally your body's response that you are in need of help. Now, when it goes to anxiety, then that gets unhealthy. We don't want to go there. But when you have an initial reaction of fear when it comes to money, that might be a good thing to kind of press into and say, okay, what is this fear? So for an example, the top financial fear for women is the lack of security. And so they ask this question, if something happens, am I going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? And I think a lot of America asked that actually last year um, during the pandemic, but to say, okay, what is that fear? Now, it could be a tactical fear because 40% of Americans couldn't cover a $400 emergency in cash. 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So if you are laid off or furloughed, there is going to be fear in your life when it comes to money naturally because you are in a place of, oh, wow, this is not, this, if, if, thing, if I don't recoup this income, things are not going to look good. But using that fear as a good motivation to say, okay, what are things you can put in place to say, never again, am I going to have this fear? Never again, am I not going to have an emergency fund? Never again, am I going to go back into debt? Never again. 
and it gives you this defining moment. So you can use fear really to help you in the tactical side to put safeguards in place, which is really important. But there's also the emotional side of the fear that you have to tackle as well. Uh, you know, even, even for me, Winston and I, we've been doing this for a decade. So we're out of debt. We have an emergency fund. We have retirement in our 401ks. I mean, we, we're, we, we've played, we've done the playbook and it's worked and it's been great. <laughs> um, but we, you know, I even woke up multiple times in April and I was like, Winston, are we going to be okay? Like I would ask that question because I had these moments of what is happening to our world? Like what if everything, you know, hits the fan? Like what is going to happen? But mine was an emotional fear. And to be honest with you, it kind of woke me up because I realized I had a level of security in my money. And the moment it felt like it was being shaken, it, it made me question as a believer, like, okay, where am I putting my, my value and my true safety? And it kind of, there was a percentage that was too much in money for me that I had to emotionally accept and say, you know what, I can't let this be my ultimate, my, my ultimate safety net. Um, because money won't be, I mean, eventually you want to be wise with it. Um, but it can't be the ultimate, ultimate, I don't believe. So, uh, so it was an interesting exercise for me. So mine wasn't as tactical on the money side. Mine was the emotional side. So whatever fear you may have, whether it's the lack of security, um, there's the fear of external forces that there's circumstances you can't control. So whether it's who's in the white house or corporate America or a pandemic, you know, there's things we can't control and and people have a lot of fear of that, that that's going to affect their lives and they can't win, um, where that's not true. You definitely have things in your life you can control. But, but whatever that, whatever fear you have around money, I always say, name it, understand tactically what can you do to put in place to safeguard, and then what are the emotional things you need to walk through as well. Well, real quick on that, um, because you're right, we all are dealing with the pandemic and, you know, just a lot of chaos coming off of 2020. Are there any um, practical things that we can do when we're dealing with things that we can't control? Um, just little tips that can help us kind of feel a little less fearful about our external circumstances? Yes, for sure. Yeah. If you have been laid off or furloughed, or maybe you've replaced some income, uh, but it's not fully to where you were, I say pause everything don't be paying off debt. Don't be funding 401k, like pause everything and just stockpile cash until you get that income coming back. Um, a lot of people have found replacement income, but a lot of people, millions are still unemployed. And so if that's you, you're in this kind of emergency place. So I would say pause everything um, and wait till you can recoup that income to go back and pay off debt and um, do, uh, do other things with money. But for now, just save, save, save. Uh, and then for other people that are still working and are making an income, kind of going back to the fear idea, you can't let fear be your financial advisor. People make really bad decisions when it's all fear-based. And so some people were paralyzed and they didn't do anything with money because they were just so freaked out. But if you're in an industry, I mean, if you work for a plexiglass company, you're probably going to be <laughs> in business, right? Like you're going to be okay. And so if you're in an industry that, yeah, we're not going down. But the fear is still there. You have to push through that fear. That fear can't dominate you. You still need to go and work towards your financial goals. It's going to be okay. You have to start moving. So if that is you, work to be paying off debt. We, I teach people to pay off debt, smallest amount to largest amount. Work your way through that. When you're done with that, build up a big emergency fund of three to six months of expenses. Um, I mean, that, that's really kind of a starting place to begin, but, but keep moving. I mean, if you're, again, have a job that you know, is secure, even though everything's, everything's still crazy. I understand that, but you know, okay. Yeah. My boss has told me we're, you know, we're not probably going to be laid off then still work your financial goals. 
Okay, so let's roll back a little bit to really the heart of your book, and that's knowing ourselves. If we get through the, we understand our tendencies, we have already gone back to the classroom to identify what we uh, were educated in as a child, and we discover we have some bad habits, What give us some practical things to change those. Well, number one, you really have to understand that that change is uncomfortable. So first and foremost, no. If you are not, and if you're in a place that you're like, man, I just, I don't like this. This is uncomfortable. You're normal. No one likes change. Even my three-year-old, I switched the car seats because I had to take them out for something. And then I switched them on the wrong side. And my three-year-old like absolutely had a fit because she did not want to sit on that side of the car. <laughs> I was like, even at three years old, she doesn't like change. Like we don't like change. So, so you have to push through that and say, okay, change is uncomfortable but know why you're doing this and even write down your why statement and keep it out in front of you. And, you know, when you do your budget, which I recommend to do every single month, like look to say, okay, I'm making these changes and this is why. And it's your why statement. And your why statement should show you that there is hope that, that out there that is better than your present. So what you're working towards in the future is going to be better than your present. So that's the second thing is that you have to have that hope. Uh, and in that hope, you can start working that plan. And so I always talk about saving $1,000, then working to pay off that debt like we talked about, and then have a fully funded emergency fund. And so walking through that, um, it's a lot. I understand I just kind of threw those three things out there. <laughs> Easy peasy. It's shattering for a lot of people. But, but really getting getting started on this plan to say, okay, I know change is hard. But listen, the hope is out there that my future can be better than my present and then start working that plan. I do think it is, like you said, it's all about baby steps and not trying to think that we're going to fix everything overnight. Um, even just the concept of taking some time to reflect back to, you know, what you were taught in that classroom that you grew up in and, you know, what are your tendencies and no tendency is wrong. We just have to be aware of them. I really think you've given us a lot to think about. I'm sure our friends are going to want to pick up this new book. How can they get their hands on it? Yes, it is anywhere books are sold. So you can find it uh, Amazon, rachelcruz.com. Yeah, anywhere you love to buy books, it should be there. Awesome. And and I'm sure you would like our friends to connect with you online as well. Um, do you have social media, all the things? Yes, I do. Yep. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all of that at Rachel Cruz. And my podcast is The Rachel Cruz Show as well. So we talk about money all the time on it. So come check it out because, yeah, I'm really helping people get control of their money and create a life that they love. And I think part of that is understanding who you are and why you do the things you do. Well, and I absolutely love this, Rachel, because it's kind of a different approach to know myself and then know my money. Because I think we tend to just look at a spreadsheet rather than understanding it starts with us. Yes, you're exactly right. And and again, when I walk people through you know, their money journeys. I'm like, I feel like sometimes we play whack-a-mole with, with our problems. You know, you like you hit one down and you fix it, but then something else pops back up. And I'm like, yeah, because we're not dealing with the heart issues, like the real issues under there. And when you can know those behaviors and know the ones that tend to be bad and you need to change them, all of that, it's going to help you not white knuckle your way through life and money. It really gives you a sense of freedom and understanding. Well, I loved when you mentioned Chip Dodd's book, um, Voice of the Heart, and just the idea of kind of combining all of this self-awareness to have it better serve our ourselves and our family and our finances. Really love that. So thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Rachel. We'll be sure to link to all of this in our show notes so our friends can catch up with you some more. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me on. I really appreciate it. Julie, I think we should pull our quote this week from something that Rachel just said. 
You can't let fear be your financial advisor. I think that is excellent advice for our grit and grace life. You won't want to miss next week. We're unpacking a common phrase that maybe you roll your eyes at, or maybe is just the motivation you need to set off 2021. Carpe diem, seize the day. Thanks for listening to another episode of this Grit and Grace Life podcast brought to you by the Grit and Grace Project. Whether you're listening in Apple, Spotify, or streaming somewhere else, be sure to subscribe and review so you never miss an upcoming episode. You can also share this episode with a friend you think might enjoy living a Grit and Grace life with us or share us in your social media and tag us. Every week we share all the details of what we discussed at our website, gritandgracelife.com. We'll catch you on the next one.